Well, some time back, out of the blue, completely unexpected, my father had a stroke and he passed away. In the morning, he was running around with the grandkids playing soccer, having a great old time. And the evening, mum was cooking dinner and dad was getting ready to watch the Broncos. And he just stopped, dropped the phone charger. And two weeks later, he was gone. Unexpected. Fit as a fiddle, 69 years old. Now, that was, I think, 2018. It's been a rough sort of thing, but I've come to terms with that. Dad knew the Lord, and really, you couldn't want for any better passing for someone. At the end of the day, he's receiving and walking in the freedom that we all believe and look forward to. I don't really think about it too much until things like what happened last night happens. I was at the country night down the Crow and Arrow, having a fun old time, and I was catching up with some friends who I haven't seen in a long time. And uh, we grew up together, this particular group, um, small group of friends. We grew up in church, going to church together and that. Don't see them very much. So we're just chatting. And out of the blue, Josh says, I miss your dad. I was like, what? He said, I actually find that I really miss your dad. I'm like, what did you really have to do with my dad? He just says, I miss him. And then he went on to talk about that. But anyway, I'll get, I'll get to more about that later. This morning, we're carrying on, following on from where Kirk has kicked off from last week. So if you've got your Bibles, I don't know if we've managed to get it up there, we're going to look at Col- Colossians chapter 1. Colossians chapter 1. And uh, I'm going to read a bunch of verses as by way of context, and then we'll kick on from there. Colossians chapter 1, starting in verse 9. By the way, can we give Bo a hand and everybody who has anything to do with the computer and sound? Let's give them a a hand. Because only 10 minutes ago, Bo came and said, do you need anything? I said, oh, you could put the Bible passage up. So he went and found that, put it up on the computer, and there it is. That's good. This is not my being organised that that's up there for you to read. That's all Bo Geeskins. Colossians chapter 1, verse 9. For this reason, since the day we heard about you... I'm going to read from that because I have a different version. And so from the day we heard, we've not ceased to pray for you, asking that you may be filled with the knowledge of his will in all spiritual wisdom and understanding, so as to walk in a manner worthy of the Lord, fully pleasing to him, bearing fruit in every good work and increasing in the knowledge of God being strengthened with all power according to his glorious might, for all endurance and patience with joy, giving thanks to the Father who has qualified you to share in the inheritance of the saints in light. He has delivered us from the domain of darkness and transferred us to the kingdom of his beloved Son in whom we have redemption, the forgiveness of sins. That's a little, the passage that we're digging around with for a few weeks. Today, we're looking at one verse only, and that's specifically verse 10. And we'll kick into that a little bit more. Paul, the guy who wrote this, was a very learned person, but his grasp of English grammar was terrible. 
He did not know how to use English punctuation, Paul. It's frustrating reading sometimes his stuff. His sentences go on line after line after line. But thanks, Paul. So if you can do that all in one breath, you're doing better than me. Digging around in verse... So I just want to talk a little bit... Trying to follow one from Kirk last week... One of the things that, that Kirk picked up on um, was looking at verse 9 and it was talking about being filled with the knowledge of God's will. Now, there's just a couple of thoughts that really stood out for me and I'd like them, they were a bit of a challenge and I'd like them to just, I just want to say that now. I don't want to spend too much time on it because that was from last week in verse 9 but if you want to get on SoundCloud and, and listen to that. There's something that Kirk touched on that I think is one of the reasons that we really struggle in this day and age, grasping, and, and you know, people have, we're, we're no different, but one of the things that we find in our culture today is that we have, we have really reduced our sense of identity as people in the kingdom of God. We've reduced it. We've kind of We've gotten on board with the culture that's around us, which the, the people of God have done for centuries. It's just, we're human beings. But what we've done is that as more and more as our culture around us has fragmented and has, has fragmented to become focused so much on the self, so have Christians. We've tended to do that. And so part of our angst in wrestling with coming to terms with what the will of God is for our lives a big chunk of the reason we wrestle with that and are frustrated with that is because we have reduced our understanding of our identity to just our individual self. We obsess over what God's will is for my life. But we see ourselves not as God necessarily sees us. We see us ourselves as the self, as though we are the centre, and as though God has sent some coded message that we just can't figure out and we but that's because we have we we need to come into line with our understanding of ourselves. and Kirk talked about us being in the middle of a big story in first Peter chapter 2 verse 5 Peter writes that we are living stones we're just stones being built into a great you know building that is a spiritual worship So we, in 2019, find ourselves part of a story that goes back millennia. So yes, the Holy Spirit is ready to talk to us as individuals. But let us not restrict our understanding of God and who we are as just our individuals. Oh, mate, I could go for a couple of hours on that, but I'm going to stick to the brief. Verse 10. So as to walk, the reason that Paul prayed that and that when what he prayed was that um, the prayer is that asking God to fill you with the knowledge of his will through all spiritual wisdom and understanding. So that's carrying on from what Kirk said last week. The knowledge of God's will starts with our understanding of ourself and where we fit in the world. Does that make sense? with all wisdom and understanding, and that is, that's what we're getting at. It's the understanding of ourselves in the middle of a long story. We all long for great things, but we are human beings. We love to worship. 
we're built for worship, and human beings want to worship other human beings. We idolise great people, and we tend towards, often, I think, we talk about what, what God has for us, and we imagine us doing great things, because we want to worship and be worshipped, actually, idolise the self. We just tend toward that. That's where we're going to have conflict with God and his kingdom, because that's not his intention for all of humanity. God's intention is that we would play our part as living stones that he is developing and building. But Paul is praying that prayer so as to that we might walk in a manner worthy of the Lord, fully pleasing to him, that we might live a life worthy of the Lord and may please him in every way. I'm going to be jumping around a bit cross-referencing, using other parts of the word to try and dig into what Paul is saying in these phrases. That we might live a life worthy of the Lord. Now this, this concept of being worthy of the Lord is not some, as though there's some standard that we need to meet in order that the Lord would be pleased with us. It's not entirely that in the way that you might think that we need to behave in certain way and get everything right so that now we're, we're acceptable to God. That's not what it's saying there because as people of faith, we believe that Jesus already did that for us. He already lived the life of perfection. So Jesus is our perfection. But what Paul is getting at is that, that we would effectively, and this is one thing I don't get about the Lord, is that he left, I do understand, I think I get his strategy, but... But when he left the planet, when Jesus went up into the clouds, he effectively said, now hang around in Jerusalem because I'm coming back by my spirit. I will return to you, but then it's in your hands. So our life being worthy of the Lord is living as like a multitude of Jesuses walking around the planet. A multitude. Let's remember that all over right now in this very moment, even if you just choose like a 10-kilometer radius, radius, there are thousands of people gathering just as we are right now. People who you've never met before, who've been living maybe in the next street to you, maybe they're living in your street, but they love Jesus too. We are part of a multitude, and that's just in this little part of Queensland. Spread that out. If you take that radius out, there are people all over the world that have been called the same as you and me. Just to be little Jesuses in the world. That's it. To live a life worthy of the Lord. In Micah chapter 6 verse 8, we're kind of hinting back to this understanding of what God wants of us. Micah chapter 6 verse 8 says what? Somebody? Anybody? Just put your hand up and we'll, we'll put you on the spot. Grace? Yeah. Do you want to say that? Come on, you, you, you know it. Oh, it's walk humbly, do justice, love mercy. But Give Grace a hand because she had the courage to say that. That's it. And what does God require of you? That you would act with justice, that you would love mercy and that you would walk humbly. There is the will of God for your life and for mine. Micah chapter 6 verse 8. I'd like to dwell, though, in John chapter 15. If you've got your Bibles, you can jump back to John 15. 
Bo, you're a champion. I am so impressed. I believe, this is, my, this is part of my favourite passage, I believe that the best, that any good message come, it can be connected back to John chapter 13 to, to 17. But anyway, that's my own personal little, little bias there, favourite part of scripture. But in John chapter 15, in verse 8, I'm just going to read this chunk and we'll focus on a couple of bits. This is Jesus talking to his disciples, and this is the night before he's crucified. So things are intense, the pressure's on, and he opens up his heart and starts speaking very plainly. John 15, verse 8. Oh, well, we'll say verse 7. If you remain in me and my words remain in you, ask whatever you wish and it will be given you. This is to my Father's glory that you bear much fruit, showing yourselves to be my disciples. As the Father has loved me, so have I loved you. Now remain in my love. If you obey my commands, you will remain in my love, just as I have obeyed my Father's commands and remain in his love. I have told you this so that my joy may be in you and that your joy may be complete. My command is this, love each other as I have loved you. Greater love has no one than this, that he lay down his life for his friends. And you are my friends if you do what I command. I no longer call you servants because a servant does not know his master's business. Instead, I have called you friends. For everything that I learned from my father, I have made known to you. Now look at this verse, verse 16. You did not choose me, but I chose you and what and have appointed you to go and bear fruit, fruit that will last. Then my Father will give you whatever you ask in my name, but this is my command, love each other. Jesus letting us know the equation. There's an equation here. There's choice consequence. This carries on for all of our life. If you remain in me, I will remain in you. And then he paints the picture of him and the Father being one and therefore us being one. There's so much in Scripture that talks about us being co-heirs with Christ and this connects to that that first phrase, that first phrase of um, that we would please God in everything we do. That we, and Jesus said, his whole point, was to appoint us to bear much fruit. It's the whole purpose. It's the whole purpose of what we're here to do. It's what he did himself. I have appointed you, he says to his disciples, to go and bear fruit. He didn't look at each one of them and say, this is going to be your job, that's going to be your job, that's going to be your job, and that's going to be your job. He just said, fellas, and by therefore meaning the whole group, hundreds of people, Go, bear fruit. It's going to be your, it's just going to be your legacy. And it will be fruit that will last, not like the bananas in my place that go off very quickly. If they don't get eaten, the lizards get them over the back. But the fruit that we produce is going to last and last for eternity. Really? What does that mean, the fruit that we will, that will last? Does that mean that we're going to have a bridge named after ourselves? 
Does that mean that we're going to have some building somewhere or a park named after yourself because you did something great in the local community and therefore they donated a park in your name? Well, for some people it might, but generally no. Not really, because there's one whose name. If we're a Christian, then we just join the ranks. There's not a lot of levels of hierarchy when it comes to the kingdom of God. Listen to this. There's not a lot of levels of hierarchy. There's Jesus and then the Jesus people. That's us. But let's not forget that there is that hierarchy. Let's not be like the world. And this is what he's trying to invite us to step out of. And this is why we wrestle in every other day, folks, is that what the wrestle is, is about actually the hierarchy. That's all it is. If we get it right, that's what Jesus is saying. We remain in his love. He remains in us. And the hierarchy just makes sense. He's the boss. And we just get about living. Bearing fruit in every good work. <clears throat> Back to Colossians. We pray that may please him in every way, bearing fruit in every good work. Good works. What are these good works? Because this is the fruit. This is the fruit that will last. It's our good works. Now, over the time, we've, we've still gotten mixed up this idea of we do good, therefore God is happy with us. If we do good things, then God will let us into heaven. You know that myth that's been built up through the ages? Sometimes it's inherent. Sometimes you talk to people and, and they wouldn't necessarily say that, but it is a belief. And sometimes we can find ourselves, our practice, why do we do good? Because we have this, this sneaky little misunderstanding that gets in that then God will be pleased with me if I do good works. Well, what makes this so sneaky and so insidious is that it's half true. But it's the half-truths that are the worst lies. And people can build their whole lives on a half-truth and find that they've missed Christ. But the fruit that Jesus is talking about is the fruit that he exhibited when he came. When he was on the planet... What he said is, I do nothing except what I see the Father doing. There's our framework. I don't do anything but what I see the Father doing, I go and put my hand to that. And so his mum at the wedding in Cana, they're freaking out. You know this story. Some of you may not, so I'll try to paraphrase it. Jesus is just bloke wandering around. He hasn't been, he, he's not been revealed necessarily because he says to his mum, what are you doing, woman? My time's not come. That's, that's his words. And she says to the servants, they're at a party, it's a wedding, and they run out of wine, which is, brings great shame on the bride's dad and household if you've run out of wine. And so Mary, Jesus' mother, brings, brings the servants to Jesus and just says, just whatever he tells you to do, do. And he's like, what are you doing? No, it's not my thing. But she, she just being the lady that she is, ignores what he says and just says to the servants, just don't worry, just do whatever he says. So Jesus gives him, tells him what to do and his first great miracle happens and the wine that they get to have at that part, I would like, I think we'll all get to drink that one day. Whatever type of grape that is, it's, it's the best wine and the people, not only, he saved the, the 
the um, family from shame. In fact, he did the opposite. Where, where if they'd have just relaxed into the way the world works, there would have been shame on the family. But Jesus intervened. I think there's a little principle here. Listen. But Jesus intervened, and what would have been turned to shame actually became praise. To something that the man could be quite proud of, because he didn't even know where it came from. But it was the best wine. People are going, what? You saved the best wine to last. Anyway, I'm off track. But Jesus' fruit, he just wandered around doing what he saw needed to be done. But he brought the kingdom of heaven. Yours is the kingdom. Yours is the power. Yours is the glory. Forever, amen. It was our last song that we sang. Your kingdom come. So whoever Jesus met, and, and, and he said many amazing things, but the, we have only a fraction in the word. But where you get this impression, if you read the Gospels, Jesus is just wandering around. And when it came time for the feasts of different feasts off, they went to Jerusalem because that's what everyone did. He just went around the normal, everyday work. And whatever he got a sense of what God was doing or wherever he saw some injustice or where things weren't right, he put them right. He just, he just acted in a way that was in line with the economy of heaven. That's what Jesus did. And I realized, and talking to my friend last night, and I asked him, why do you miss my father? Why do you miss dad? This is what he described. It was hard to say. He couldn't really, he just said, oh, he just left a gap. Because he, he's just a good man. Anything he did was good. Now, if you know my dad, there'll never be a bridge named after him. He's a bus driver. For 30-something years, he just drove the bus. I never once heard my dad complain about his lot in life. Not that you would to your kids. Some people do, though. I work with kids, and they bury a heavy burden of their parents who can't keep their mouths shut and deal with their own adult stuff. I never heard any complaint from my dad. When I asked him something about career and wouldn't you want to grow, he said, you know, go up and do something where you can earn more money. Mum and dad never had much money. My dad's answer to me was, I believe I could get a better job if I went into the city, but I believe working where I live. He said, I work where I live and I work a job that I can do so that I can be home playing cricket with you in the afternoon. And because it was then that I was asking him, he was bowling the ball and I needed a break because he could pitch the ball at just this length that I thought I could, you know, as a, as a young fella, you want to put it over the neighbour's house to, you know, cop that, old man. But he kept bowling me every time, even as a, even late teens. But that was his answer. He's not looking for greatness. And yet at his funeral, that was one thing that stuck with the people was how they were spilling out hundreds, eight, nine hundred people people who didn't necessarily know the Lord, but they'd experienced goodness because they'd hop on the bus and he was the driver. It came across in his manner towards people. This is the fruit that will last. This is the opportunity that's in every one of us. We have this opportunity to do good. Why? Because we are good. We're good. We're good people. By very fact that, that we are in Christ and we remain in Christ, Christ remains in us. So now we're good. 
We have the power to choose what sort of behaviour we will be. Will we, will we behave out of this sense of identity of who we are in Christ? We don't need to wring our hands and wonder about what the will of God is. We just go and live, whatever context we find ourselves in. But in the moments, in the everyday, that is the fruit that we bear, simply because we choose to behave kindly. We choose to do what? Give generously. That's not the way our world works. Our world wants to hold in. Kirk talked about last week, he talked about, um, I can't remember the exact words, I might have written them down somewhere, but it was on the other notes maybe. It was talking about, um, it's a great act of love and war. And love and war come together every single day. Just many of us, we miss it or we, we get busy or we don't perceive it. But the fact is when we do good in this world, when light comes in a world, in a world that's stingy and wanting to protect its own, whether it be property, whether it be reputation, when we give generously, we declare war on the ways of selfishness. We, we, give, we provide fruit. We, we give light. It breaks the way this, this, this earthly ways work. That's it, folks. It's not complicated. We don't need to wring our hands and wonder and wrestle because the, the, everything of the kingdom of God is made available to us every single day, during our sleep at night, during our morning. All of the kingdom is made available to us. I've got a new phone. I've lost my stopwatch. Anyway, we're just going to go for it. There we go. Got it now. So this is the bearing of the fruit. Listen, when we gather today, like all the people around, we gather on our Sundays and we come together and we worship and we get together at our conferences and we have a great old time. We gather, our son, we worship in Sunday and we gather at our conferences and we do all these things and that's good and they are good, but that's not where the power lies. Power comes at these times, but it's not the essence and the heart. There's a bigger game. The Lord has set aside the church that we should do this. Why? Because Jesus said, and he said in, at the end of John 15, this is my command, love one another. That's why we get together as church. That's it so that we can love each other, so that we can catch up, care for each other, nurture each other, build each other up. <clears throat> the scriptures are full of this sort of talk. That's why church exists. And then we worship the Lord together and, and the, the Spirit is a part of that. But the real power, the real power of the kingdom of God happens when we go out and we're split up and we're on our own in our workplaces, in our households. That's where the power is. There's a part in Amos, the book of Amos, where, where God actually says through the prophet to the people of God, I hate your gatherings. You do your religious feasts and that, I hate them. It's disgusting to me. God was saying, they're gathering in his name. They're offering this, they're doing everything that he told them to do. And he said, it's disgusting to me. Why? Because you come together, you do all of this great stuff, but then you go out and you act unjustly. You're more interested in adding house to house. You're more interested in, in living the way that the cultures and the peoples around you do. And then you come together and you, you offer up these, 
platitudes to me, he said, that's disgusting. In other places, that's a hard word. To the people of God from God. Nothing has changed. We're still human beings. We're just on the planet a bit later than that lot. The power, the answer of that prayer that your kingdom would come is in our hands. We are the answer to that prayer. Do you see that? It's a weird connection. But we both pray the prayer and then we answer the prayer to a world that's thirsty and dried out. I want to pause for a moment. Is that okay? Would you like to stand up? We're going to pray a moment for our land which is burning. In New South Wales, our land is burning, people. And Jesus said, if my people who are called by my name will humble themselves and pray and turn from their wicked ways, I will hear from heaven, I will answer them, and I will heal their land. We're going to break for just a minute because it's the people who are called by his name. We are the prayers and we are the answers to the prayer. God through us. So join with me now, would you, in pray. God, our land burns. Why are we in drought? We have the, we have the model of the word Time and time again where the land, you, you, circumstances were such that you were you allowed to happen so that your people would come back to you and we've drifted. The people of God have drifted and are drifting. And we repent from that. God, our land burns. Our land is dry and cracked. It's parched. It's broken. People are losing their lives through fire. Lord, properties are being destroyed. People's livelihoods and lives are being ruined. And that is not the way of your kingdom. That is not who you are. And we say that now, that is not reflect the economy of the one who owns the land. For all things are yours, Jesus, and everything is put under your feet. And so we pray today for those areas that are either burning with fire or burning with just heat and drought. We need your kingdom to come. May your kingdom come and replenish the earth. So we bless the firefighters, those who are out there trying to work out strategies. Bless them with wisdom to put out the fire. Let the people be saved. Let the land be saved, Lord. And I ask that you would pour out your mercy on our land. We have no right to ask this, Lord, But we do, actually we do have a right because we are your people. We ask that the mercy of God would fall upon our land and that it would rain. That there would be seasonal rain and unseasonal rain and you would just pour out and put out the fire. Put out the fires that are burning the houses and the crops and the land. Put out those fires. Put out the fires of disunity and conflict that are ruining families Put out the fires that are causing dissension. Business, our land burns and we burn. We need your mercy. Reign upon us, O Lord, because you reign over us. In Jesus' name, for your glory. Amen. Thank you for joining that. You might have had better words. (laughs) It doesn't matter the words. It's the hard position. Are we praying? Do we wake up and do we pray? Let's get up in the morning and pray. 
I'm trying to get in the habit of before I even get out of bed, just remember who I am and whose world it is that I'm about to step out into. Then I open the door and it's like, ah, no, it's not. It's not. I try to get up before the children. Oh, let's get back in order. Bearing fruit in every good work. So our good works are the fruit that comes out of who we are in Christ. We remember who we are and then we just go and live in every given day. If you're wrestling over your career... Look, I've been a chaplain for over 20 years and I feel like from the start, in my second year, God gave me a picture of what I was going to do because I was excited, I loved my job and I said to the Lord, I'll do this forever, I love this, this is a great job. And the Holy Spirit said to me, this is preparatory for you. That's 18, that's actually, that's 20 years ago. I feel like I've been doing an apprenticeship for this long. There's a couple of times I've left thinking it's time, it's time. It's not time. The Lord's had to just pull me back into line a couple of times. Like you do on a horse. You know, there's a scripture, I don't want to get too far off track. There's a scripture that talks about the power in a horse. You know, like a war horse this big, powerful beast. But, but the, the word says that but it can be controlled just with a little bridle. And I feel like the, I just got all this ready to go and the Lord's a couple of times just had to rip those reins around and say, you stay where you are. I know the frustration of things not being the way you want it to be. I, lived, I have lived there. But the fruit and the peace is found in relaxing and just walking into the day. Don't worry about tomorrow, what you're going to eat, what you're going to wear, what your superannuation account looks like, where you're going to retire. That's, let, the pagan, let other people who don't know about the beauty of the kingdom worry about that stuff. Don't worry about that. He's being specific. Some of us are wrestling over our how we're going to retire and when we're going to retire. Some of us are worried and we're only young about our retirement. As out of line with Christ. Don't wrestle and worry and fear about that stuff and then claim to be a Christian. You're not living the life of a Christian. You're not. Praise God, it's easy to come back into line. You just lay it all down. But don't mess around thinking that we are people of faith and yet we wrestle and worry. Like we concern, we concern, it's okay to be concerned, but what do we do with that? Does it tear us up inside? Do we actually become worried and anxious about it. That's the difference between concern and anxiety and worrying about it. Oh, where do I fit? All of this stuff. It's, we're just out of line. The Lord would say, and, and Paul's prayer here to the church in Colossae is that we would just relax and go and be the people of Jesus. Go and be Jesus out in the community. Relax where you're planted. Go and do what is in us already to do every good work. Growing, and the other part of that is increasing in the knowledge of God or growing in the knowledge of God. I want to break that down a little bit. The concept of growing suggests a process, folks. Growing suggests a process. I'm no gardener. Come to my house, look in the backyard. It's the lady next door who's the gardener. She's got all the birds in the trees. She's got, it's beautiful over there. Sometimes I want to just jump on the tramp and go, oh, what is she doing? I'm no gardener. You'll see that very quickly. Just look at the front yard. 
I know what does grow, that's weeds. They grow better than plants, am I right? But even the weeds, they just grow faster, but it's still a process. We're not living in the Matrix. Remember that movie, The Matrix? There's, has anyone, put your hand up if you know the movie The Matrix. All right, I need to know who I'm talking to. There's, there's a lot of people who've never seen The Matrix. This, this movie The Matrix was groundbreaking in its time because the technology in it, but also the story's fan is just amazing because there's so many themes of, of saviour of the world. Anyway, there's a lot. Anyway, check it. But in The Matrix, um, to know something, they were all... Basically, the whole, the real world was just a computer makeup and, or the world that appeared to be real was a computer, computer engineered. And the real people who had their eyes open and were aware, they could interact with that world. Oh, wow. I better not start preaching on the matrix. There's so many themes. Let me say this. The knowledge, to gain knowledge in the matrix, if you wanted to be able to fly a helicopter, you could just sit down and they would plug this thing in this back of your head and Okay, and then you could go out and fly a helicopter. You could gain knowledge just by this little plug-in. Okay, now I know Kung Fu. It actually is pretty cool if you watch that movie when Neo gets all skilled up. And it literally happens in a moment. But this isn't the growing. That's, that's a made-up movie story. 20 years I've been hanging around in the schools. I still haven't worked it out. Actually, I have. It's not about arriving anywhere. This concept of growing is a process. A friend of mine once said that Christians, and not just Christians, but everybody, we curse process. We hate process. We want the, we want the bang. We want, we, want, we want to arrive at expertise, but it, that's not how the Lord works. Nothing actually works that way. It's about growing, growing in the knowledge of God. And as we string together, minute by minute, day after day, year after year of just going and living in the world around us, just like my old man, driving a bus, faithful, always punctual, on time. Whenever he was asked to do something beyond what was comfortable for him, he went and did it. Involved in the parents and citizens community, running the fate, involved in running a home group in his church, doing all of these things. Why? Didn't make him any more acceptable to God. It just was good to do. This would bring goodness to the community. I'm going to go and get in that. That's it. And in that process, there's a knowledge of God that grows. And that knowledge, it's the difference between knowing something, and I'll be quick, Kirk talked about the difference last week of knowing something. You remember Kirk's analogy was, was about young people about, who know about sex but actually don't really know about sex and the knowledge of God. I just want to finish with this and pause on it. This concept of knowledge and of knowing God, it's not a skill that we acquire. It's not something that we can pick up on a podcast or read a book. Those things can be helpful tools. But knowing God, there's a level of intimacy there, deep intimacy in the knowing Now, if we can practice this proper knowing, this will change the world. This will change our world. Because I want to talk very quickly about the concept of knowing in marriage. I think God has given us a picture of what knowledge is in marriage. Marriage is an invention by the Creator. 
And when two people are married, that's where there has the potential for real knowledge, where you know someone and you are known by someone. Some here have been married for 50 years, some maybe a few weeks. But the beauty of marriage, which is a picture of our own relationship with God, is that there can be an intimate knowledge of one another. The beauty and the peace, the wonder of being completely known, of being completely who you are and to be loved by another is the gift of marriage. It's the gift of knowledge. Some, part, some translations of the Bible where they talked about Adam and Eve, they used the word know, and Adam knew Eve. There's a knowing. Because when there's, there's marriage and, and, and sex in the part of that, there's a knowing of someone. There's an intimate knowledge of someone that no one else could ever grasp. And there's a being known in that union that no one else could ever know. I was talking with my, well, I was talking with someone this week, a young person, and we got into that about, about sex and why marriage and that sort of stuff. And, and I realised that just in working on this, that that's the difference. It's, it's not, there's marriage and love and that has really been brought to just a surface levelly kind of cheap thrill kind of thing. But, but for those who know God and are prepared to grow in the knowledge of God, there's an opportunity for deep intimacy. And, and, and as we love one another and grow in the knowledge of one another, we can work new quirks out about one another, things that frustrate us, that we don't get or understand, but we hold that and we put that aside and we don't let it gain any ground of frustration necessarily in us because we prioritise the knowing of one another. That's what Paul's talking about here, that we would grow. His prayer for the people in Colossae and his prayer for us today is, that, is connected to the growing in the knowledge of God. We give our lives to Jesus and it's exciting and, and for a time and then we have those hard yards, those years, but it's opportunity to grow, to learn about who we are, come into the fullness of the freedom of our core identity rather than just living from our instinct. This is the invitation that God has for us today, for all of us. Anyone who's been married for a length of time will, seems to share that there are times when, not just times, sometimes whole seasons, years even, where you just, it's, uh, uh, but you hold nonetheless, endure. And in that time, there's a knowing and there's a learning about self. There's a learning about the other. And, and even though there's things, there's, rough parts that might not work very easily, there's, there's that deep desire, the knowledge of God. This is the knowledge that Paul is writing about here. We can know God like this. I think that's enough. I think that's enough.